to the movie planet. Joining me is the ghost to my wasp, Steve. Welcome back, sir. I'm sorry I'm giving you the name the ghost. <laughs> well, maybe because maybe it might be something physically that I'm not there. But, Phys- perhaps. Uh, but I also figure, I also figure, you know, she's, can we say the weakest villain we've had? It could be. It very well could be. If not, if she isn't the weakest, then this movie does not do her any justice. Would you, how about this? Would you put her above Justin Hammer? Mm, No. Okay, so Justin Hammer is more of a problem. Yes. Okay, cool. All right, okay. Now I know what we're going on. I got, I got a little basis here. Okay. Well, yeah. this week we're tackling the second movie in the Ant-Man series and the 20th in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Ant-Man. On the show, we will be keeping track of all the movies worth your time in our Movie Planet Pantheon. The comic book Movie Planet Preserved is composed of seven and only seven films. And in order to be inducted, it's got to be reviewed by us. And they are number one, Deadpool with an A. Number two, Avengers Infinity War. With a movie. Yeah. And finally, another movie cracks the top three. Because uh, it was Deadpool, then Iron Man, then Dark Knight for a long time. Then we got number uh, number three is Iron Man. Number four, The Dark Knight. Number five, Batman Begins. Number six, Black Panther. And number seven, Doctor Strange. Your boy. My boy. <laughs> and who knows? This might be the time when Strange drops out. We'll see. I hope he doesn't. Uh, now, the higher the grade we give it, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it out on its butt from the preserve in the future. So we will discuss the movie, and in an hour or so, we will analyze it and grade it and figure out if we need to boot a movie out. This is a spoiler-rich podcast, so if you haven't seen 2018's Ant-Man and the Wasp, it's best if you stop right here, watch the movie, and then turn us back on to enjoy our discussion and analysis. And also, from sunny Florida, we have, well, the comments... Of Steve's wife's friend, Sam. Yeah, she's a big, huge movie buff as well. I think uh, the wife and I went out with her and her husband one night, and then we just started talking about movies, and she was just like all in on everything. So <laughs> I kind of mentioned and said, hey, this is what we're doing. And not like more like a day later, she sent me this whole list of things that she wanted. So she's really excited. I, she's a, She listens to us regularly. Oh, least, cool. That's what she tells me. Well, Steve has done the duty of putting your comments into this so that we can give them its full due. Unfortunately, though, there can be no back and forth, Sam. You're not here. We can't argue and discuss. We can't do any of that stuff. And that's kind of how the show operates. So in order to make sure that your comments get their full due, this is how we're going to handle this. If we agree with your comments... We will obviously give our support to what you have to say. But if either one of us disagrees with one of the things that you say, then one of us will take your side of the comment and the other will be allowed to refute your opinion in an open debate. That way, we give you your due Movie Planet style. That's the best and only way to do it. Would you say that's fair, Steve? I say it's very fair. Okay. But now that we finished that business, let's get down to business! This week, we're discussing 2018's Ant-Man and the Wasp, a movie made for approximately $162 million that brought in, wow, $622.6 million worldwide. This, this franchise seems to be, it's like, its bar seems to be around $550 million now. Well, this is, the Ant-Man, what, what, what movie came out before Ant-Man last time? Infinity War. 
Oh, no. Last time it was Age of Ultron. See, they're coming out pretty big movies. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if that has anything to play into it. And this was just a couple months after. It wasn't even like a, a full summer after. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, so people were still riding the high of the uh, the snapping. Infinity War, I think, was still in the theaters when Ant-Man came out. Oh, gosh. That doesn't <laughs> surprise me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, if you watch them back to back, I guess it works. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Totally it does. Uh, written by Chris McKenna, Eric Summers, Paul Rudd, Andrew Barrer, and Gabriel Ferrari. Again, another series that has more than three writers on it. Um, produced by Kevin Feige. And Steven Broussard, directed by Peyton Reed and music by Frozen's Christoph Beck. <laughs> he did the he did the he did the music for the first one too. I was uh, listening to it right before we started this, yeah. and there's a couple songs I listened to. I, I listened to the one called "World's Greatest Gram or Best Grandmother." I can't remember <laughs> what it exactly was called, and it was very. Mission Impossible, that 007 was seven type feel to it. And do you know when that scene was? That was when they were crawling through the attic and yep. the house, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, that that made sense. That that was really cool. It stuck with what the movie was. And then I switched over and went to this called Arthropide or something. So at the very very end of the film, it's very very slow. Yeah. But I like that a lot better. It's probably when like his mom came into play I oh. think I don't know at okay. the very very end but it, it had some really cool musical tones that it was very soft but kind of dark at the same time got it all right okay uh starring Paul Rudd as Scott Lang uh Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne the Wasp Michael Pena is back as Luis Walton Goggins as some guy named Sonny Birch Bobby Cannavale as the world's greatest stepdad Jim Paxton yeah, really. Uh, Judy Greer, who I have a affinity for, as Maggie. T.I., your boy, T.I., as Dave. Oh. <laughs> David Dismalsian as Kurt. <laughs> Baba Yaga. <laughs> what? We have to go over that one again. <laughs> Hannah John Kamen as Ava Starr, or The Ghost. Abby Ryder Fortson as the once again too adorable for words Cassie Lang. Randall Park as Agent Jimmy Woo, Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne, Lawrence Fishburne as Bill Foster, Michael Douglas as Hank Pym, and Stan Lee as a man whose car gets shrunk by accident and thinks he's having flashbacks to his days in the 60s. Now, I know there's no secret that Stan Lee is a little old. Uh But for some reason, and I'm sorry, rest in peace, Stan Lee. Yes. He just looked very, very old in this scene. Like, the, I don't know how much, what year he died in and what year this movie came out, but I don't know. But he just, it, it just stuck out to me. I, I call that as something bad because heaven forbid everybody, anybody talking, he blasted me against uh, Stan Lee, but it's, uh, something didn't look right to him. I don't well, know if he was sick or whatnot. Well, if you remember, Stan Lee at one point had filmed his final five um, appearances in the universe. I think it was after he passed away. He passed away November 12, 2018. And this was it this was just before he passed away. Okay. Because Ant-Man and the Wasp took uh, I think it came out in ooh, I want to say May of 2018. I'm checking right now. Well, I'd have to think when Infinity War comes out and if it came out a couple This seems like a summer movie though. Ant-Man and the Wasp the date it came out was july of 2018 boom 
yeah. wow, look at that, Kojo. So you figure you figure that his filming for this was probably done, I don't know, six months beforehand. So he's yeah. in his final year. Let's get into the making of this movie. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies. I make films. In June of 2015, Ant-Man director Peyton Reed expressed interest in returning for a sequel or prequel to that film, saying that he had really fallen in love with these characters and felt there's a lot of story to tell with Hank Pym. A month later, Pym actor Michael Douglas said he was not signed for any additional films, but, quote, would look forward to more if it comes my way, end quote, and expressed the desire to have his wife, Catherine Zeta-Jones, cast as Janet Van Dyne for a potential follow-up. Evangeline Lilly, who portrayed the daughter of Pym and Van Dyne, Hope Van Dyne, wanted to see Michelle Pfeiffer in the role. Reed mentioned that there had been talks of making a standalone adventure with Hank Pym as Ant-Man, possibly including the original opening to Ant-Man featuring Jordi Moya, which was cut from the final film. In October of 2015, Marvel Studios confirmed the sequel, titled Ant-Man and the Wasp, with a scheduled release date of July 6, 2018. Reed was in negotiations to direct the sequel by the end of the month and announced his return in November, along with the confirmation of Paul Rudd and Lily returning as Scott Lang, the Ant-Man, and Hope Van Dyne, the Wasp, respectively. Despite being offered the chance to direct sequels in the past, Peyton Reed had never done so out of a lack of interest, but was excited to work on Ant-Man and the Wasp because there was, quote, a lot more story to tell with these characters that I have a genuine affection and kind of protective feeling about, end quote. He was also able to build the sequel from the original foundations as he joined the first film late in the process following the departure of original writer and director Edgar Wright and wanted to explore elements that he had set up in the first film. He first began work on an outline for the sequel which he thought could be much more unique now that the character's origins had been established. On being the first MCU film to have a female character in the title with the Wasp, Reed called it organic and noted the Wasp's final line in Ant-Man, it's about damn time as, quote, very much about her specific character and arc in that movie, but it is absolutely about a larger thing. It's about damn time. We're going to have a fully realized, very, very complicated hero in the next movie who happens to be a woman, end quote. Reed would push to ensure the Wasp received equal publicity and merchandise for the film and wanted to explore the backstory of Janet Van Dyne as well. He had definite ideas of who should portray that character, and Reed said that the alternate title, Wasp and the Ant-Man, was briefly considered, but was not chosen due to fan expectation, given the comic's history of the phrase, Ant-Man and the Wasp. That month, Adam McKay, one of the writers of Ant-Man, expressed interest in returning to write the film, and Douglas confirmed that he was in talks to return as well. Peyton Reed stated in early December that the film may call back to the heist film genre and tone of Ant-Man, but that Ant-Man and the Wasp would have an entirely different genre template. He hoped to incorporate additional flashback sequences in the film, as well as explore Pym's various identities from the comics and his psychology. Reed also said he was excited about exploring and discovering the film version of the Ant-Man and Wasp relationship that is, quote, a romantic partnership and a heroic partnership, end quote. 
a different dynamic than, you know, we've seen in the rest of the MCU, which was an actual partnership. Additionally, Reed mentioned that pre-production would probably start in October of 2016, with filming scheduled for early 2017. Production writers for the first time, Gabriel Ferrari and Andrew Bearer, signed on to write the script along with Rudd, with writing starting in earnest in January of 2016. The next month, McKay stated that he would be involved with the film in some capacity. And by April, the four writers and Reed had been holed up in a room brainstorming the story, with Reed promising that it would have, quote, stuff in it that you've never, ever seen in a movie before, end quote. Kevin Feige added that they wanted to stay true to what made Ant-Man so unique and different and teased the potential of seeing the giant man version of Lang that had been introduced in Captain America's Civil War. Despite being involved in the writing of the script, Peyton Reed did not take or receive a writing credit on the film. In June of 2016, Peyton Reed said that for inspiration from the comics, he had been looking at everything from the early Avengers comics to anything Nick Spencer was doing now, and was focusing on iconic images that could be replicated in the film over story beats from the comics. He added that there was, quote, definitely a chance for Michael Pena, Tip, T.I. Harris, and Das Malchian to reprise their respective roles as Louise, Dave, and Kurt from the first film. At San Diego Comic-Con 2016, Kevin Feige stated that Reed and Rudd were still working on the script and that filming was now expected to begin in June of 2017. Rudd elaborated that they had turned in a treatment, but it was just way too preliminary. He said, quote, we'll see. We have an idea of what it might look like, but it could change a lot from where we're at now, end quote. The next month, Pena was confirmed to be returning as Luis while filming was revealed to be taking place in Atlanta, Georgia. In early October, an initial script had been completed for the film that was awaiting approval from Marvel. Reed later revealed that early drafts of the script included a cameo appearance from Captain America appearing during Louise's flashback sequences as he was recapping Lang's involvement in the airport battle in Captain America's Civil War. However, the writers chose to remove the appearance in the final script since the events of Civil War were already referenced frequently in the film, and this instance didn't feel organic to the story. At the start of 2016, Reed said that the film's production would transition from the writing phase to official prep, that month beginning with visual development. Reed reiterated his excitement for introducing the Wasp and really designing her look, the way she look, moves, the power set, and figuring out sort of who Hope Van Dyne is as a hero. Reed was inspired by the films After Hours in 1985, Midnight Run in 1988, in What's Up, Doc, in 1972, for the look and feel of Ant-Man and the Wasp. While the first film was more of a heist film, Reed described this as part action film, part romantic comedy, and was inspired by the works of Elmore Leonard, where they are, quote, villains, but we also have antagonists, and we have these roadblocks to our heroes getting to where they need to be, end quote. He also stated his disappointment in the Giant Man introduction happening in Civil War, rather than in an Ant-Man film, but noted that the appearance provided character development opportunities between Lang, Pym, and Van Dyne, since Pym is, quote, very clear in the first movie about how he feels about Stark and how he feels about the Avengers and being very protective of this technology that he has, end quote. And so Reed thought Pym would be pissed and Van Dyne would feel betrayed, which was Reed's in for those characters starting dynamics. Reed added that he spent quite a bit of time talking with the other writers and directors of MCU films 
and that he and the writers on this film wish to maintain Ant-Man as its own little universe inside the greater MCU because of the different tones the Ant-Man movies provide. Quantum physicist Spiridon Michalkis from the Institute of Quantum Information and Matter at the California Institute of Technology returned to consult on the film after doing the same on Ant-Man and explained the science between or behind getting extremely small to the filmmakers. Michalkis described the subatomic realm as a, quote, place of infinite possibility, an alternative universe where the laws of physics and forces of nature, as we know them, haven't crystallized, end quote, and suggested it should be represented in the film by beautiful colors changing constantly to reflect transience. In February of 2017, Michael Douglas confirmed that he would reprise his role as Hank Pym in the film. During the Hollywood premiere of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 in April, David Desmalchian confirmed his return as Kurt, and a month later, T.I. confirmed his return as Dave as well. Through that May, Marvel was meeting with several actresses for a key role in the sequel, with Hannah John Kamen cast in the part at the beginning of June. The following, movie, the following month, Randall Park joined the cast as Jimmy Woo, and Walton Goggins was cast in an undisclosed role until San Diego Comic-Con 2017 when Park's casting was confirmed and John Kamen and Goggins' roles were revealed to be Ghost and Sonny Birch, respectively. And the casting of Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne and Lawrence Fishburne as Bill Foster was announced. Judy Greer was confirmed to be reprising her role as Maggie from the previous film the following week. Louise Frogley served as costume designer on the film after doing so for Marvel's Spider-Man Homecoming and worked with Ivo Coveney to create the superhero suits for the film. Based on the designs by Andy Park, the suits were updated for the film from the 1960s-inspired designs used in the first Ant-Man to more modern designs. The Wasp suit included practical wings, which were replaced with digital wings for when they were expanded and ready for flight. The Russo brothers, directors of Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, which were filming while Ant-Man and the Wasp were preparing for film, were in constant discussion with Reed in order to ensure story elements would line up between the films. Joe Russo added that Ant-Man and the Wasp would have, quote, some plot elements that stitch in, end quote, closely with Avengers films more so than any of the other films leading up to the Avengers films. Reed knew Ant-Man and the Wasp would have to be both a standalone movie without ignoring the events of Infinity War, with the biggest connection occurring in the film's mid credit scene. Since the events of Ant-Man and the Wasp occur over 48 hours, the timeline in relation to Infinity War was left purposely ambiguous, with Reed noting that there had been discussions of placing little Easter eggs along the way to start to reveal to the audience where the movie takes place in the timeline, but that felt not very fun to them and kind of obvious. Reed also liked how the film ends with closure and on a positive note, and then bang, give the audience a gut punch right after the main credits with the sequence showing Hank Pym, Janet Van Dyne, and Hope Van Dyne disintegrating due to the events of Avengers Infinity War. At the start of filming, Marvel revealed that Bobby Cannavale and Abby Ryder Fortson would also reprise their roles from the first film, respectively, as Paxton and Cassie, and that Chris McKenna and Eric Summers had contributed to the screenplay. In late November... Evangeline Lilly said that the characters would try to enter the quantum realm in the film and their potential success would open a whole entire new multiverse to enter into and play around in for the MCU. The film includes a clip from Animal House, which Reed was reminded of while discussing the quantum realm science for the film. 
Reed insisted that the film be shorter than two hours since it would be following the massive epic Infinity War, and because it is an action comedy and it didn't want to overstay its welcome. Dan Lamental and Craig Wood edited the film. The film's main edit, the film's main credit sequence is a tabletop version of its action sequences, and was created by Elastic. An alternative idea that had been considered was to create a fake behind-the-scenes documentary that would have made the film look like it was a 1950s-era Godzilla movie with, quote, people in suits stomping on model cityscapes, end quote. Okay, Steve, do you remember seeing this for the first time? What did you think? I had to have seen this at home. This might have been a revisit to the Joe journey yes. because I thought it was over when uh, Infinity War came out. But then it was like, oh, Ant-Man the Wasp. I wasn't on that board yet. I wasn't on that band just yet. <laughs> uh, at the time, I wasn't excited to see it. Now I was really, really looking forward to it. I love the first Ant-Man. You also, though, would you say, because I've noticed this about you, and that is whenever you are following up something that was so delicious like an Infinity War. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't meet those expectations immediately, it does knock down probably a few more notches in your belt than maybe the average person. I would, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. That, that seems to be a trend. I mean, it, it, I don't. I, I think it's just knowing yourself and knowing that that's. I mean, that's why we do these like a year afterwards. Because, I mean, that's why I want to wait for Rise of Skywalker. Because I want to wait till a year passes before we do this one. Okay. You know, let it sit and marinate because if we do it, do it right after the after we've seen the show or a month after the show, it's just we're still kind of reeling a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I look at I mean, this film is so tough to, to do. It's like it's like Infinity War. It's like your fourth person in the batting lineup with the bases loaded. And he just <laughs> knocks it out of the park with Grand Slam. And then you got this guy named Brandon Inge coming up after Brandon Inge, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Tiger. Like, oh, it's him. Okay. And the bases are empty. And it's just like, all right, let's just pop one in the outfield and get a single. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This movie in Captain Marvel, it's just reloading the bases. Exactly. <laughs> wow. That, that's a great, that was a really, really good comparison. This movie is the Brandon Inge of the MCU. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's things that you know fans really like. They're kind of funny, you know. But it's when you look at it from a whole, it's just like. Oh. But he can play a vital part because he is the catcher, and this film does play a vital part in the MCU. The boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, okay. So me, uh, I remember seeing this and Steve, I fell into the trap of being disappointed by this movie the first time I saw it because I just had seen Infinity War. And the only thing that got me excited about this movie in the end was the ending scene. The the final, or not the final, but the mid credit scene in this because I was kind of like, okay, I got this now. I, I didn't, I wasn't compelled by... The, the the villains i the only i loved the wasp i thought she was great I, I there were so many things i liked about this movie but i didn't like the movie but i like so many parts of the movie i'm conflicted yeah, yeah it's really weird I, I i agree with you on that but let's let, let's see maybe it could change our mind let's see cue the clip look at us teaming up twice in one day makes you think huh about what germany what do you mean? We were working together, training together, and you know, other stuffing together. 
If I'd asked you, would you have come? I guess we'll never know. But I do know one thing. What? If I had, you'd have never been caught. Hey, Scott. You think you can stop daydreaming about my daughter long enough to get in my lab? Yes, sir. Thank you. The film opens in 1987 as Hank Pym and his wife, Janet Van Dyne, are set to go on a mission, leaving their young daughter Hope in the care of their housekeeper. As Ant-Man and the Wasp, they shrink themselves to stop a Soviet nuclear missile from detonating inside American territory. Finding that they can shrink small enough to slip between the steel plates... That's what she said. <laughs> Janet goes subatomic to drop the missile into the ocean, but it left her lost in the new quantum realm, and she was presumed dead. However... After Scott Lang, as the Ant-Man, went subatomic and managed to return to normal size, Hank tells Hope, now played by Evangeline Lilly, that there might be a way to bring Janet back. Well, okay, so we get a cold open with a de-age to Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer. By the way, <laughs> that is, she, she hot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she that, she's another one of these MCU super celebrities that have joined the uh MCU as an actress or actor, and they just always look amazing. It's like collecting, like, trading cards. It's like you started off with a bunch of, like, your basic pack, and every now and then you open one up, and you're like, holy shit, we got Robert Redford. <laughs> <laughs> I'll trade you my Robert Redford for your Michael Douglas. We're back to the mission where Hope's mom, Janet, disappears and goes subatomic, and I'm now recognizing what this is going to be. This story is about filling a plot hole. <laughs> this, story, this story is all about filling a plot hole, which is if Scott could come back, then why couldn't Janet? <laughs> so I'm kind of I'm on board with this move right now. Fill in the plot hole. I was going to say you're all on about, you know, answering plot holes. You hate those. So but they're taking a whole movie to take care of that. Mm, we'll see. Yeah, and it's nice to see that, that Sam agrees with me. Sam says this is a very important scene for the content of the entire movie. If people missed this, they were lost. Yes, if Sam, I agree. If you are getting popcorn at this point and you show up because you're one of those people that's like, I'm going to get popcorn as soon as the trailers start. First of all, you're stupid. Yeah. And secondly, <laughs> you're going to miss the first 10 minutes. And this is kind of like the whole point of the movie. If you miss this part, it's it's very crucial. I agree, too. Exactly. I do want to say something about Ms. Lily. Oh, please tell us tell us about this. Kate from Lost. <laughs> she is slowly starting to turn into my favorite. I mean, if she's not first, she ain't third. <laughs> into my favorite heroine of this MCU. Um, my number one still being Scarlett Johansson, but oh god, it, she is so close. Well, we've had with everything. We've had quite a few at this point. I mean, we have we have Scarlett. We got Black Widow. We got. Scarlet Witch. We got. Yes. We we have basically every badass woman in Black Panther. Yep. I mean, I love Nkoye. Yeah, she's just a master. You know, <laughs> she's Darth oh. Maul and Michonne all in one. Dude, oh my gosh, man! Oh. And now Darth we, Maul take notes. Yeah, and now we get another very very capable character in the Wasp. Probably more capable than Ant Man. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. I think she just. It's like Ant-Man learned. Well, it's it's true. Ant-Man learned from her. Yes. So it's it totally makes sense why she should be the more skilled one. And she's so fluid on the screen. So Sam has a comment about this. She says, <clears throat> I want to give it its due here. 
I like how Evangeline Lilly isn't overdone with the makeup like some of the other female Marvel characters. Rewatching the Marvel just reminds me how oversexed Scarlett Johansson always ends up. Maybe just a character choice for both of them. She's such a natural and a strong, somewhat emotionally distant woman. <sighs> Steve? So. Do you. When, let's start with this. Do you agree with that comment? Uh, I agree with it almost to the point of just on her, on how she actually looks. Now, then again, I haven't seen, and we haven't seen Captain Marvel yet, but when I look at all the other women, I guess maybe besides Black Panther, (laughs) I'm starting to retract my statement here. How about this? How about this? I feel like all the other women, they have a lot of makeup on. They have like a provocative outfit. Now, I know Wasp has like a full outfit, but nothing along the lines of what Black Widow is like. I think the best part is somewhat emotionally distant woman. And you know what? When I heard that, I immediately thought of Kate from Lost. Now, I know that's the same exact actress that played her, but that's just kind of the same demeanor that she's almost brought to it. The one who kind of hesitates. She always looks like she's crying on the screen when she's not. So I somewhat agree with it a little bit. What do you think? Well, here on the movie planet, we are all about equality and we're all about fairness. Would you agree? Uh, yes, I definitely would. Okay, good. Of course. Okay. So in the realm of equality, we want to make sure that everybody gets their, their equal due here. And uh, I'm going to replace some words in this comment here and you let me know if it still works. I like how Mark Ruffalo isn't overdone with the muscles like some of the other male Marvel characters. Rewatching Marvel just reminds me how oversexed Thor always ends up. Maybe just a character choice for both of them. He is such a natural at being a strong, somewhat emotionally distant character. Isn't that the same thing? Yes. So, (laughs) is it possible it's not oversexed, but just... Every character in this series has that little tinge of sexiness to it. I mean, these are specimens of males and females, and they're tactical. I don't want to see somebody wearing baggy jeans running around. It wouldn't work. No, that's true. And you could probably even say the same thing if um, with Tom Hiddleston in there. So... That's my take on it. Anytime I hear somebody talk about how all the women are over sex, I go, how many males have we seen with their shirts off just glistening in the lighting? And when I then I go to Scarlett Johansson, I go, how many people has Scarlett Johansson kissed in the entire series? Uh, I can't even think. It was one. And it was well, Captain was America when they were going up the escalator yeah. to distract the bad guys. That was the one thing that she's done. Because other than that, she was dressed kind of sexy in the Avengers, I guess, when she was being caught. Yeah. And yeah, that, but yeah, she's yeah, always she's always fully clothed. <laughs> Isn't she? She is skin tight, fully clothed, but yes, she is. <laughs> now, can we say that about any of the male characters in the MCU? Uh <laughs> just say it, you know the answer. The only one uh... What, Michael Douglas? <laughs> yeah, really. Um, the thing is, the knife sharpens both ways. We have to remember that when, when we try to take those takes. Yeah, I mean, it does. How they use the females and how they put them up in the screen, it's similar yet different to how what they do with the males. But then again, you can get away with more stuff from the guys because they're guys. And also, 
guys don't tend to complain about this. We don't yeah. care. And part of that is because in the past, males have always been the more fleshed out characters. Females, have, if they're on the screen and they look good, usually they're only very two dimensional. But the Marvel Cinematic Universe has proven that if we're going to do a character that's a female, we're going to fully flesh this character out so that it's not just about how they look. It's about who they are. And that's why we can look at a lot of these characters, most of the characters in the MCU, and say... Yeah, we like this, this, this. Oh, by the way, like usually our last comments about these characters are, and they're kind of sexy. Yeah, really. I mean, I think you hit it kind of right there on the nail. And if everybody wants to hear a good analogy of that, listen to Black Panther. Exactly. Yeah, because holy (laughs) hell, we, I mean, you and I, we both adored everybody in that movie. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that movie was great. And the actors and actresses were just phenomenal on how they were able to portray their characters. Yeah. So do, would you say that we handled that properly? Yes, I did. I did the best I could. <laughs> was, was, was I fair enough in what I was saying? I, I, I believe so. Most definitely. Yes. Okay. Okay, good. So last thing I wanted to mention before, yes. uh, before we move on. So as they're talking about and you see everything with the quantum realm, I'm like, well, this is going to be very, very sciencey. Oh, is this going to be a thinking and movie, Steve? This is, this is going to be – well, I don't want to say it's going to be a thinking movie. Stop that right there. No, but it's just going to be very uh, – it's going to be a very technical scene. It's yeah. going to be a very technical movie. So I'm I'm okay with it. Hopefully – and Marvel has done this in the past where they've taken something super important and super probably difficult, and they've made it easier to explain. The only time they really didn't do that – is when Tony Stark explained how Loki got to Earth and Avengers. Oh, yeah, and I had to do the deep dive <laughs> in the script to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, really. That, that, was, that, that whole scene was crazy, but Marvel does do a good job, so we'll see how they do. Yeah. In the present day, Scott has been under house arrest after violating the Sokovia Accords by working with Captain America in Stuttgart, Germany. He is spending his day with Cassie, who is visiting him for the day. Scott has a whole area set up with the help of Louise in his house for them to play in, including a a slide that goes out the door. Unfortunately, Scott's foot breaks through the fence and therefore the perimeter, and the FBI pays him a visit. Agent Jimmy Woo leads the inspection to make sure Scott isn't doing anything suspicious. Scott explains that he's had to get creative to entertain Cassie, including doing sleight of hand magic, which impresses Woo. The FBI leaves and Cassie goes home with Maggie and Paxton. Once again, I'm glad that they recast the same kid because the kid is adorable. Marvel knows how to cast adorable kids, especially when she delivers lines like, oh, no, the fuzz. And look out. It's the popo. <laughs> yeah, I didn't catch her when she said the fuzz, but the popo. I heard that. and I was laughing inside. I was like, oh, really? Wow. This kid knows that. Yeah. When I Lu- think uh, when that was Louise, Scott's comment, too. When Louise opens up the box for a second, she goes, oh, no, the fuzz. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love how Scott is all about being a dad. I think that's such a cool thing to see. And even better, Luis is the one working the business. Well, they all have to be in Scott's house. Yes. Because he's under this house arrest. And, yeah, he's just the dad of the century. I I mean, I respect Scott even more right now. I mean, the time and energy to build and create something like this is just mind-bending. It, you know, it's funny. I mean, We're recording this in the middle of this quarantine. How many of you dads out there have done this with your kids? <laughs> You know what? I think now with all this that's going on right now, uh, I think a couple of them now more would raise their hand. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Because guess what? It's getting awfully tiring to say, just get on your phone. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. I I, I like woo. 
I like Wu when he's explaining to Cassie why Ant-Man can't come out and play because this is needed exposition for those that are just kind of walking into this movie, but also those that were wondering, where the hell was Cap was Ant-Man during Infinity War? Uh, it was just like a nice little catch up in like 30 seconds. And when they're going down the slide and his foot breaks through, then you see his ankle monitor. That's like the beginning of like, okay, where has he been? What's going on? And then I'll think it's just all that fun. And it just gets ruined by busting it through there. And I, and then it took me a little bit and I'm thinking they had to do that just to let the audience and everybody know that, Hey, He's under house arrest. They need a chance to bring in this character and then fill in that gap. Because if that like thing doesn't happen, yeah. the audience is clueless. Exactly. But and it also adds it adds another pressure to the not being caught during the scavenger hunt that we're gonna about to have also. With only three days left under house arrest, Scott does what he can to help keep himself occupied. He takes a bath, then he has a dream where he finds himself as Janet playing hide and seek with a young hope. Scott later gives Hank a call, despite both he and Hope not having spoken to him since his arrest. He tells Hank about the dream he saw, and hours later, Scott is tranquilized by something flying in the room. You know, when this movie came out, people thought this scene was stupid. (laughs) But now that we've all been quarantined, everything Scott does in his house when he's bored, it really does not seem ludicrous at all. No, I completely agree. We can all understand this quarantine. I mean, he had three days. Well, no, he had three Uh, days left. Oh, yeah. Well, he has three days left. Yeah. To do some of this stuff. He, now, I don't know how much time has transpired during this. Is it all just still in one day? Well, he's been in there since Civil War. Okay. So that's like a good year and a half. So this guy is the master of quarantine. He's, he's <laughs> we should be out. taking notes. We should be taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, everything that he does in here is just like, oh, that looks like so much fun. <laughs> and I'm just sitting here going, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, he's figured out how to do card tricks, which are baffling everybody. <laughs> oh, God. I wonder now how many people have taken that up. <laughs> I, you know what? I have. I'm like, I, I want to do sleight of hand and figure that stuff out. But I'm like, within about an hour, I'm like, I can't do this. Shit. <laughs> yeah. I like the visuals in this going to the quantum realm because it reminded me of my boy, Dr. Strange, mm-hmm. when he's going through the different dimensions yeah dude dude just get out of my get out of my head because that's exactly <laughs> what i was thinking exactly at that moment exactly what that part of the film was going on yeah i like this is so very dr strange dude we're just so good at what we do it, it really is it, it's... i'm just gonna give you a social distancing high five oh okay <laughs> there it is <laughs> uh, scott wakes up to find hope driving him somewhere in a shrunken van she lets him know that she took off his ankle bracelet and put it on the giant ant that Scott has living with him. Hey, Evangeline Lilly grew her hair out. Welcome back, Kate from Lost. I like this better. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of her character from Lost, but it, she does look a little bit better than a little bob cut. Yes. Yeah. But we also we don't know. We just know her as the driver of the car right now. We don't know anything more about her. Uh, but I when they show that the van is smaller, <clears throat> I have a question, Steve. How can they be small if they aren't wearing their suits? So when I saw this, I kind of thought the same thing. And I'm thinking, okay, some time has passed since Mm Ant-Man. So I have to go on the belief that Hank and Hope continued evolving the technology. Then why do they need the suits later on? Because I think the suits can do more than just shrink. I think it's almost at that point they're considered a weapon in addition to what that can do. 
So, so why do we I, need maybe, to, maybe, then maybe why the, the I helmets? Think the can, <laughs> I think the suits can do more. Because wasn't the well, idea of the suit was to minimize the the mental stress that the shrinking would do on somebody's brain? Yes. So are we throwing away our rules now from for, for the first Ant-Man? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> You're just supposed to go with it, man. Come on. <laughs> Just it's go called, with it's, it. it. Is that is that the MacGuffin? Is that a MacGuffin? That is not a MacGuffin. Oh, gosh. I'm stuck feel like JC when it turns to identifying those things. Nope. That is a plot hole right there. <laughs> That's what that is. I do like how they write the fact that Scott's involvement in Civil War, it didn't just affect his freedom, but it broke the trust with the Pims. I th- Anytime that I see that they're going to throw a problem in there with a relationship, it's got to be something deeper than, well, they did this. And the fact that it was twofold just makes it more rich, I think. Yeah. They arrive at the lab where they show Scott that they have created a tunnel to the quantum realm in the hopes of bringing Janet back. After Scott describes his dream in full detail, Hank and Hope deduce that he and Janet are connected because of the time he spent in the quantum realm. They are missing a key electronic component to get the tunnel to work, so they head to... Now, this is a MacGuffin. So they head to meet with someone who possesses it. Hank shrinks the lab and takes it with them. However, they don't realize they are being watched by a transparent figure. As Scott is explaining his dream to Hope and Hank, I'm buying into this not being Ant-Man 2, but it's Ant-Man the Wasp. Like, I can totally see now that already, without her even fighting, Hope is a bigger character in this movie. Yeah, uh, she's a pivotal point that just, I don't want to say she moves the plot along but she's uh an integral part of the entire story and even to this uh starting to become for the saga yeah sam mentions also uh, michael douglas and evangeline Lilly, uh and how good their father-daughter duo is like chemistry wise i completely agree i think that they are fantastic as a father-daughter combo and i wouldn't mind seeing them in their own movie yeah oh okay hold on hold on Let's not do the spinoff movies now uh-uh. maybe a Dis- maybe a disney plus here's why i wouldn't call it a spinoff because Wasp is a title character. Th- th- those ones can be in their own movies. It's when you take a supporting character and make that the movie. But would the Wasp make a good movie? Well, what if it was... <laughs> here's the thing. What if it was Wasp and Janet and Hank? I still think it would be... I, I, I don't know if it would do, be a good well of, of a movie. But then again, I don't, know, I don't think I want to see like a 10-part series on all of them either. So maybe a movie is the better route to go. Yeah. Anything about uh, the lab that <laughs> bothers you? Yeah, this lab. Well, I don't know if it necessarily bothered me. I just, it's the first thing that stuck out when I saw it. I was like, this is like Stark's lab. Just a lot more like test tubes and beakers. And it's very, again, it's sciency and it's just more confusing. I mean, I know Stark's isn't like the easiest thing to look at, but it's a lot cooler looking. I think Stark has all the better gadgets and whatnot. It's your I'm going to go on my little mini rant here. I hate the physics with shrinking things in this movie. Basic seventh grade science teaches us that matter can neither be created or destroyed, okay? The shrinking in the Marvel Universe is reducing the distance between molecules. That's what they said in the first Ant-Man. It's not the shrinking of the molecules themselves. And that means that the mass will stay consistent, but the volume changes. In other words, an object like a car or a building would maintain its weight even after being shrunk. 
There is no way in hell Michael Douglas or a team of Michael Douglases could roll that mini building, let alone stick it in a car, nor carry around an entire case of little mini cars that they could drive. It is a major gripe I have with this movie because it doesn't follow its own rules. I mean, when they shrink the bu- I mean, I thought that was cool. I mean, it was cool, but <laughs> I, I I looked at it as like this is I didn't want to see the same thing I saw in Ant-Man. I, I, I was interested to see as time went on what has happened. And to me, the serum, it's <laughs> the serum has evolved. I mean, you do bring up a good point. The only thing I had to take with this whole scene with the building shrinking, I had to take it is a grain of salt. I mean, people ashed away in the last movie. Their matter floated away. A secret city in Africa was hidden by an asteroid. God, I got to re-say that again because it's split in two parts. (laughs) Well, okay. Let me go with it. First of all, if this was not Ant-Man, if this was Captain America and the only thing that you saw shrink in this movie from Pimtech was a building, I could understand it being something you just go, yeah, let's just go with it. But this whole movie is about a guy who can fluctuate from being small to large and then he can make everything else small and large. If you can't follow your own rules, you need to rewrite it. Well, that's why I, that's kind of what I was thinking of. Maybe it's, you know, with your manipulation of matter, you think of it in a physical sense. I mean, maybe there's like a chemical change in there now. All I'm saying is that with everything that's happened in the MCU, it's almost kind of expected to have something like this that just doesn't make any sense. But and also, you say chemical change, that doesn't change the fact that matter cannot be created or destroyed. Because even when the matter floats away in, in Infinity War, that is still matter that is now turned into something else. Uh, on a side note. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Every, well, okay, myself included. Everyone, and this, oh, this is so perfect. Yeah, everyone in this movie is confused except <laughs> Hank and Hope. Can we just also say how cool it would be to have a matchbox garage? But then again, maybe not because we wouldn't be able to carry it around because everything would just wait. I'm so confused. This is like, just go. Just continue, buddy. The three arrive at a restaurant where Hope meets with Sonny Birch, a black market tech dealer, while Scott and Hank monitor the situation from inside the van. Birch knows Hope as Susan, but has already figured out her identity by the time she arrives. Birch refuses to give up a component that Hope needs, so she appears to leave. Birch and his goons start to walk out, but they are knocked around by Hope in her wasp suit. Scott is impressed to see that she has wings and blasters. She fights them in the restaurant's kitchen and manages to enlarge a salt shaker to knock out one goon while also running across knives being thrown at her. As Hope grabs the component, she is attacked by the figure from earlier, Ghost. She is able to phase through anything, like Vision which means Hope's punches are useless against her. Scott joins Hope as Ant-Man in a new soup to help her, but Ghost escapes and makes her way to the van and steals the lab from Hank. Why would this guy have a key component? Oh, yeah, he, he traffics in black market technology, but if he's that smart and savvy with technology, then how did they not think he was going to figure out their real identities? Well, this is just another grease ball. <laughs> to me, he just looks like a sloppy Justin Hammer or Aldrich Killian, except this guy doesn't know what he's getting himself into. Oh, yeah. 
the I mean, the other guys at least were smart. <laughs> but when you put all three of them, except for Fiery, Aldrich, Killian, they all look the same. I mean, they all have the same exact character. Yeah. This guy's just out of all three of them, the dumbest. I completely agree. Uh, Sam has a comment. She said that she loved the fighting scene and how things changing sizes plays into the fighting scenes. She says, I don't live for what I find to be the monotony of fight scenes. I'm going to carry off and say Wasp is a full on badass in this movie. She was dodging a knife and then ran across it in the air. Yes. How awesome is that? And we saw something similar to that in the first Ant-Man when he runs across the barrel of the gun. Remember? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so this is kind of like, look, she can do it, too. And she's pre- she's better at it because we saw her fighting ability in the training montages of Ant-Man. And now we see her in a suit and it's clear she is the alpha in this movie. It's not Ant-Man. And honestly, I could watch a movie. If this, if this movie was Wasp and the Ant-Man, I would not have been surprised. Yeah, she, she clearly shows that she has more experience with the technology and in the fighting styles in this movie. Yeah, and honestly, where it's taken a couple movies sometimes to get to know a character, this movie realistically is Wasp's movie. And she is full fleshed out in this. I mean, I... Everything she does in this movie, every emotional choice she makes in this movie works for her character exactly how it should. Oh, yeah, I 100% completely agree. And the more I think about it, when going back to the suit, oh yeah, the Ant-Man suit or the Wasp suit, I definitely think it's prob- that's probably the most fun suit in the MCU. <laughs> I mean, a very, 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 I mean, you could probably flip a coin on these two, would be the Spider-Man Stark suit. Yes, I mean, but between these two, they've got to be the most fun. Well, also, and I was thinking about this while you were talking, which was um, if Ant-Man can also go large, does that mean Wasp can go large, too? I guess it could. I guess the technology's there. Yeah. Um, I think the ghost effects in this movie are really cool. I like the ghost effects. (laughs) Yeah, they're really they're they're really trippy. I love I love the look of the suit. Yeah. From ghost or phaser or phasma phaser? i don't know we didn't we, oh we didn't phasma captain phasma? Yeah, we, didn't, <laughs> we didn't we didn't we, we didn't get a name yet for this villain but it was probably one of the sweetest most badass introductions to a character especially a villain that i've seen yeah uh sorry greaseball sunny because <laughs> that was your scene and then how she just comes out of nowhere and just shocks everybody i mean I've seen this movie before, and I completely forgot about this happen. I was like, holy crap. And, you know, it's interesting that you said because um, earlier you said that you can see that somebody was watching them. Mm -hmm. I completely missed that. I didn't even know that that even happened. So I'd have to go back and see what part in the film in the beginning where that actually happens because I didn't even catch it. Yeah, I thought this was even better. When they drive off, it pans away from the van, and that's when she's watching. Oh, well, she did a really good job of her phasing because I didn't see anything. Yeah, because she phased through Hank's neck also. (laughs) Oh, that was insane. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Scott brings Hope and Hank to hide at XCon, the security company run by Luis, with Dave and Kurt as his employees. The three amigos. I love it. These guys are awesome. Welcome, guys. There they try to come up with a plan to get the lab back. Hank figures that he has ha- that he has to reluctantly seek help from a former friend and partner of his, Bill Foster. Steve, I love these three guys together. 
Just talking yeah, about but, the desks and the the coffee cake and the oatmeal packets. Hey, an oatmeal, that's powder. It is. They 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 have good chemistry on film. I'm I'm, I'm going to give that to them. But there's maybe a couple of things that I didn't get from this because I didn't really. I just say I you weren't really paying care. attention. I didn't, I didn't care for it. Be honest. I mean, you have this uh, Baba Yaga, and I'm like. <laughs> I was so confused. I, I I didn't get it. I was like, what the heck is this? So you need to help and explain that to me. No, when they're sitting there talking about this this ghost that can phase in and out, <laughs> Kurt, the, the foreign guy, goes, this reminds me of Gypsy Story Baba Yaga, the witch. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So th- that's all that it was. Okay. So I felt like I missed like something, like an integral part of well, all they their keep characters. Ma- they they mention it throughout about. the entire movie, too. Like every now and then you'll hear Kurt go, <laughs> well, yeah, that's because I didn't know what the heck they were talking about. So now that makes more sense. And it could be funnier, but at that time, I just was like, they were great in Ant Man, and I just didn't really care for it the second time. <sighs> it was just, it was funny the first time, second time, all right, not so much. That's just me. What yeah, else? Y- yes, it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Bill Foster. Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, This guy is actually, in the comics, known as a guy named Black Goliath or Giant Man or just Goliath. And apparently Goliath could grow or shrink up to 15 feet tall and didn't need a suit. Uh, And, because you like this guy so much, I put this in there, he was once paired with Luke Cage during a comic book run. Oh, as he should be, because Luke Cage is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we'll I never the, know I what happens. Those names, Black Goliath, Giant Man, and Goliath, really? They called him Giant Man? How original. Uh, we have a Spider-Man. We have an Ant-Man. <laughs> a Giant Man. Oh, no. I mean, Goliath alone is, is good for me. Actually, Giant Man was also a, one given to Ant-Man, the original one, and they would write it as a small G-I and a big A-N-T. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, it, listen, com- it's comics, okay? They were for six-year-olds like back in the day. I guess. Yeah. Ghost, whose real name is Ava, goes to her home. She phases involuntarily and must sleep inside a special chamber to control it. <sighs> okay, so... Can she control it or not? Because it seemed like when she was fighting Wasp and Ant-Man, she could control it pretty well. Uh, th- this question didn't really come up to me when I was when I saw this. I just I just saw that this scene just clearly makes it now makes this villain. And I say that extremely loosely with mega air quotes <laughs> um, <laughs> is she has a what's the word I'm looking for? A hindrance. OK. You know, she has something vulnerable to her. Uh, you know, it shows her it shows her at a weakened state. So I think that gives the audience that, OK, this might be the bad guy. But how do they think that they're going to get back at her? How do they think they're going to get her? And she needs this, for lack of a better term, hyperbaric chamber mm-hmm. to, I guess, heal her. I don't know. At I, this point, we didn't have enough information. Yeah. Uh, Scott, Hope, and Hank go in disguise to the university that Bill teaches at. He maintains a grudge with Hank over the work they did decades earlier, Project Goliath, (laughs) in which Bill reached 21 feet. Scott then sees Wu and his fellow agents outside, thinking they knew he's in there. 
Before they go, Bill tells them that they can locate the lab by modifying a diffractor on one of the suit's regulators. Science, 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 science. Hank says they can't use the new Ant-Man suit because it's a work in progress. So Scott tells them they can find it in the older suit, which is in a trophy that Cassie took to school for show and tell. And we get a class trope. Anytime a class is being taught in a movie, it is always relating to the plot in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> yes, I remember you saying this to me at one point, and I really tried to pay attention to it. <laughs> uh, we get Lawrence Fister, uh, Lawrence Fishburne playing Bill Foster, who also played Perry White for the DC film, so we have another crossover celebrity. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's good. And He's, it's Morpheus. He's returned from the Matrix and sounds the same during his lecture. <laughs> his voice, I would say, is almost as recognizable as Morgan Freeman's. <laughs> yeah, but Morgan Freeman has just like a slight inclination every now and then. I mean, Lawrence Fishburne could just talk monotone and you're just, your mind warped into it. Morpheus has returned from the Matrix and sounds the same during his lecture. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, I love that all the science talk is going on. And Paul Rudd, the Ant-Man, says exactly what we're all thinking, which is, do you guys just put the word quantum in front of everything? <laughs> Scott is the audience. <laughs> Scott, Scott is me now after what I've just learned. Exactly. I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just going with it. And I think that's what Paul Rudd's role in this movie is going to be, is everybody else is smarter than him. And he's just sitting there going, just explain stuff so a four-year-old could understand it. Really? Yeah. Uh, I do like the fact that this grudge between Hank and Bill Foster is still alive, but I don't understand why he's going to help him at the last minute then. I mean, was it was it Hope pushing the Janet motive? Yeah, I know. I was I was a little confused. I. If they hated each other so much, then why did you just give up Hank to the feds right then and there? Right. So, I mean, I guess I just I, I, I sensed a little respect still and somehow. I mean, I know hate is a very strong word, and I think that just gets thrown out too loosely. So when um, Foster says, you know, I hated the man, mm -hmm. you know, I don't really think he honestly did did hate him. I think obviously in this scene, I think you should show that there was still a little bit of respect there because they have a history together. They did a lot of good things. Right. Right. And I'm sure those of you that are listening right now are probably sitting there going, wow, they're kind of all over the place in what they like and don't like. And that's honestly how I feel at this point. There are so many things in every scene I like and so many things in every scene I don't like. Yeah. It, it's getting, it's just big and small all over the place. Yes. And now I see what this is. You can get the component from Sonny Birch talk to Bill Foster, get the trophy from Cassie. This is a scavenger hunt. It's a road rally. That was very nicely put. It's a scavenger hunt. Scott, Sonny Birch. Sonny Birch. <laughs> Scott and Hope sneak into Cassie's school, but the regulator on Scott's suit malfunctions, making him the size of a child. They get to Cassie's class. <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing the music in my head right now. <laughs> this, yeah. They get to class, Cassie's classroom and get the suit out of the trophy before they are spotted. Um, I think the suit issues here are awesome. I love the lily and red chemistry. If only Cap could see you now. <laughs> see, it's those it's those comments in this film and any film in this whole entire MCU that I love. I love when they reference back to older films that we've seen. Because it just it, it reminds us that this is a journey. Yeah, a Joe journey, if there, you would say. There's, but I mean, even when he's trying to jump up to get the backpack, and you hear Lily say, "Oh, almost there! Come on." You're almost there. Oh, yeah. It's fun. <laughs> I, she's just like, 
<laughs> relishing everything about this because, again, these two have a history, and she's just clearly making fun of them. Um, the suit malfunctioning, it's so funny, and it's just – it's so different. It's so, I mean, we've seen comedy in here, yeah. but we've never seen it to this size or extent. Uh, the scene at the school, it was okay as a whole. I did <laughs> not awesome. think it was that funny only because and this just maybe it's, uh, it's just gotta be me and my opinion, but when he's walking and he's miniature, yes. especially when he's trying, when he's got the big hoodie on, Oh, that's I'm awesome. Like, I'm like, uh, I felt like he was a lot smaller than what some of the kids are actually in that school are. I didn't think that they were the same size. I he, thought that he was a lot smaller than He that. probably looks like an undersized on the average age of those kids, uh, much yeah. like I was at his age. So I can totally picture that run down the hallway with the authority sleeves just flapping in the breeze. <laughs> oh, it's so great. And then you just hear that music. Yes. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's so tiny. <laughs> Yeah, it was just goofy. And okay, and another thing, there's no hall monitor or teacher in their right mind that would just say, uh, get to class with some random kid just running around the school. <laughs> okay, okay, yes, yes. We yeah. I completely right. agree. And this is kind of like the doctor's argument, if you will. Those of you that are in careers that are usually portray- portrayed in movies, everybody will sit there saying that's not actually how that career is. Yes. Like whenever okay. they show doctors in movies and stuff, they go that, that everything they're doing in the OR right there is incorrect. And it's like, yeah, we get that. We know Hollywood is out of touch. They don't know how to do other careers other than their own. The last thing I want to mention here is the humor in this movie. I think when it comes to just Ant-Man, Lily and Douglas is, I mean, their chemistry as actors is already good. But to have good humor amongst each other is even better. And those three, I, I could I could have watched another hour of this movie, I think, if they were in it. So I'm wondering, I mean, it almost seems like some of these one-liners that they have is a little bit of improv. Oh, like... But uh, I, don't, I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know if that's really good acting or it's just you really want a juice writing. box and some string cheese? <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know. <laughs> uh, the trio locate Ava's home and find the lab, but she knocks all three of them out and has them tied up. She reveals she is working with Bill, who took her in as a child. Her father, Elias Starr, had attempted to an experiment to reach the quantum realm, but his own tunnel became unstable. His wife, Catherine, tried to escape with young Ava, but the little girl ran back for her father. The tunnel caused a huge explosion, killing Elias and Catherine, but Ava survived and her molecules destabilized, resulting in her uncontrolling phasing. She and Bill now plan to use Janet's quantum energy to help turn Ava normal even if it might kill Janet. Okay, so now we understand the phasing thing. The suit controls the phasing for the ghost. Yeah, like before, we just didn't have enough information. Okay. Now we know. I almost feel like that's something I could have explained, though, when she goes back to go into her little, you know, bedroom area. So you tell, so I guess in the film it showed her, like, struggling and all hunched over while she had the suit on? Right. Like when she, like, oh, okay. Well, well yeah. Then I guess then, yeah, that was stupid then. Um, I thought that she was like more just like that when she just took everything, when she took the suit off and it was just her. Yeah. <sighs> I, I also wrote here, realizing now that all of Ant-Man's rivals are actually Hank Pym's rivals. Lang keeps fighting Hank's battles, which kind of makes sense because Lang is too nice of a guy. I mean, how could he have a nemesis? Yeah. 
Nice guys finish last. So uh, I got to pick up everything. And I, I love the line, every cell in my body is torn apart and stitched back together every day. That sounds painful as hell. Yeah, pure agony. I agree. Okay, question, villain man. Who oh, is the villain in this movie? Is it Ghost or is it Bill Foster? Or is it Hank? It's interesting that you mentioned Hank because I never even thought about Hank actually being the the ne- I don't want to say the nemesis, but the antagonist. But that might be a better word. Yeah. In this film, uh, it's still up in the air. <laughs> no idea either. We're halfway really through the movie. We don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, I guess if you. I mean, you could almost link Ghost and Bill Foster as two and two together because they do kind of have the same plan. So you could put those two together as one villain or one antagonist. Um, But I just thought it was interesting that you brought up Hank. I never even thought about that. Um, We get a, we get a really great comedic scene. If this scene was all by itself, not in a movie. I love this scene. I I love the emergency is (laughs) I can't find my soccer shoes. (laughs) It was, it it was funny. It was, it was, Okay. Sam agrees. She says it's a relatable joke for parents. I Thank you, is. Sam. <laughs> I felt this comedic scene was forced, just like some of the things in Guardians 2. Agree. It just it didn't feel smooth like the comedy in Infinity War. Uh, maybe it was just better acting, I guess, but it just felt like it was poorly placed. And the, what I immediately thought of, and I've said this time and time again, is it reminded me exactly of the scene from Guardians 2 with Ego. And they're in oh, the woods. I know what you're says, talking okay, about. <laughs> I had to go take a leak now. I'm like, <laughs> what? No, stop. What? No. I just, it, it was just weird. I mean, I get it, but it was just poorly placed for me. I think that, I think my problem with this movie was also something I do when I do when I watch a movie. If if a movie's got me going in a specific direction mentally, like, oh, this is a comedy, this is a comic book movie, this is an action movie, whatnot, the better the movie is, the more I fall into that genre and accept more. So if I'm watching a good comic book movie, the more comic book things I see in it, the more I get invested in the fact that, wow, this is a good comic book movie. At this point in the movie, I'm not even recognizing it as a comic book movie. I'm recognizing it as a comedy. So isn't that kind of the issue that we had with Ragnarok 2? Because we didn't know what kind of film we were getting into. Yes. Yeah. And we were looking at all this comedy like, uh, what is this? And then like a third of the way through the movie, it's like, okay, I guess they're going the comedic route. So now I got to turn my brain in a different direction. But I think with Thor Ragnarok, why I think it's a better movie than this one is because Thor Ragnarok still maintained the mythos of Thor throughout the entire movie. And all the things that they added into it were kind of like, these are all things that you would see in a comic book movie in this. You could, this, this scene itself could literally be done with no reference whatsoever to the Ant-Man stuff. And it would still be funny. Because the joke isn't about the comic-y nature of it. It's about something that happens on the outside of the comic book. Yeah. And so that's why at this point I'm sitting there laughing and the back of my brain saying, why are you laughing? This is the wrong movie for this to be in. Yeah. But I'm still enjoying the hell out of it. <laughs> it's, it's just goofy. It's, okay. it's, it catches me off guard. So, okay, Steve, now I've got a couple questions. And when I say a couple, I mean four. <laughs> oh, great. More science questions for me to 
eat my own words. So Go ahead. The whole point of this is that Birch wants the quantum energy. Foster and Ava Starr want the quantum energy. Here are my questions. One, <clears throat> why are we hearing about this for the first time now? This should have been explained in the very beginning scene. Yeah. Two, how do they know how powerful quantum energy is if it's all theoretical? Number three, how do they know they can control quantum energy? I mean, aren't these all scientists? Don't they understand the scientific method? And number four, how come quantum energy never comes back into the story beyond this movie if it is so powerful? Yeah, could it rival a uh, Infinity Stone? They make it sound like it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... They brought in this very important piece of the puzzle at literally, the, I mean, you could have tackled maybe maybe two of these questions in the first 20 minutes of the film. Right. I mean, I guess the only one that I can maybe just go with it and how do they know how powerful quantum energy is, is, I mean, look at what Hank and Hope have done in their lab. They freaking built a mini, I shouldn't say mini, a no. very, very large... It, transport device to get to the quantum realm science is beyond i mean you got to think it like stark level and <laughs> I, I know we had our um quarrels about stark technology and maybe it's just too powerful yeah well i think that these people are just they they are too smart almost seems like they again they know something that we're just gonna go with you know i feel like i should know some more things and i just don't and i'm just going with it Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something right now that's going to really make you hate me. If they're so damn smart, why do they need to build a massive quantum tunnel thing in a massive building when they could just build it in the back of a f***ing van? <laughs> so they didn't think of the idea of the crazy van until they met Scott and his posse. I don't know. <laughs> God dang it. Just kill the goat. Okay, here we go. Hank fakes having a heart attack to get Bill to grab a tin of Altoids for his meds, which really contains Hank's trained ants that grow to a large size and help free them, allowing the three to escape and take the lab back. Okay. Birch and his goons go to XCon and interrogate Louise, Dave, and Kurt using a truth serum, though the villains insist that's not what it is. Louise reveals that Scott is Hope. Or Scott is with Hope and Hank in the woods where they set up the lab. Ava appears after having heard this information, and she takes out the wheels on Birch's van as she heads to find the heroes herself. We finally get a Louise story. We were waiting for this, and anytime Rudd and Lily are overdubbed with Louise, it is fantastic. <laughs> well, in my opinion, it was it just looked terrible. Good and God, this, Steve! It was just this time. To me, Lewis, it just wasn't funny. It was great in the first movie. It really was. And they even did it a couple times in the first film. But now I just feel like it's a little overkill. It's almost like they typecasted this character in this film where they have to do this with Lu with Luis, period, if he's in this. If, he does, if they don't do this, the fans would be pissed. So I guess I'm in the minority of the one, I guess, who just doesn't like these scenes. I, I went through this. The dubbing was terrible. But then again, it was done terrible on purpose. Uh, I, I just was like, 
Another one of Luis's scenes. I, I, and I ran and ran. I think I put it in my top three of Ant-Man, of liking <laughs> all the scenes with Lewis. I get that. But for just some reason, I just like, all right, it's just overkill. But they also, here's the thing, they also call the joke out because he starts the story and he gets interrupted and Kurt and T.I. go, no, no, no. Once he gets going, you just got to let him go. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we know that this is a staple of the Ant-Man movies. You need to see a Louis. It's kind of like we were talking about Star Wars and we'd say there are certain things that need to be in Star Wars movies. We need to hear the phrase, I've got a bad feeling about this. Now, whenever we hear that phrase, we don't go, oh, of course they put that in there. Right? You know, it's, fun, it's funny that you picked that line out of all. <laughs> it's almost like I prepared. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, it's just, I understand your point. I understand your point. Yes. I just, it just didn't, it wasn't, I didn't enjoy it as much as probably I should have. Well, it's kind of funny because I've always said comedy is subjective and that one person's funny is one person's not funny. And, you know, this everything that you and I are really differing on is the humor stuff. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, except the, uh, the whole, you know, mass and matter and weight thing. That's just, well, I didn't know I was going to have to teach elementary school science today. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I do. I still love watching Kurt freak out about as soon as the ghost shows up, Baba Yaga. <laughs> See, again, I didn't even, I just went right over my head. I don't know how you're missing these. I, what else are you doing when you're watching these movies? So, I mean, maybe it's just like something I just totally missed. You know, there's a couple of times I, I like, you know, going back that whole quantum energy thing. Yeah. I, I probably missed that. I think I probably that might have been a time where I had to turn over the laundry, you know. And but unlike Solo, I came back. <laughs> so, solo, I didn't, our, solo, I did not come back. There's our solo <laughs> reference. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Birch then contacts the crooked FBI agent Stoltz and tells him where Scott will be. And Stoltz tells Wu he's got a lead. And Wu is sitting there trying to do close-up magic at his computer. <laughs> and I bet, I'm going to take a guess here, you didn't like that scene. Well, it's... I, I actually... <laughs> I thought it was funny because it just showed that Wu really is envious of Scott. And he actually, deep down, I think, wants to be Scott Lang. You know, it says, oh, he's these, you know, big time celebrities, the Ant-Man. And now he's just doing, you know, oh, he caught him, you know, doing magic tricks. And, oh, I kind of want to be like that, too. I don't know. Maybe I'm stretching a little bit, but I think he's a little envious of Scott. Maybe he wants to be him. But he's just this stuck FBI agent. After enlarging the lab, Janet takes control of Scott's mind, revealing to Hope and Hank a new algorithm that will help them stabilize the tunnel and enter the coordinates to locate her. But she warns them that they have only two hours before the quantum realm becomes so unstable they won't be able to reach her for another century. The thing I want to highlight in this scene is how well the lines are written, because the lines that are given to Rudd to say, if Michelle Pfeiffer was delivering them, I could see her delivering those very same lines the way that they're written. So I think Rudd is great here. And I think the dialogue of the scene is the star of the show. Yeah, it's okay. So this is okay. This scene, <laughs> I didn't go. even write much about this, but it was just really weird. I felt like at this scene, no, I agree with you. So Paul Rudd does a, does a good job of portraying that he's actually someone else. And that's good acting on his part. Yeah. 
But I felt like this movie kind of now is starting to get a pacing issue with me. Uh-huh. It does a little fast, a little up, then slow. And then it just goes back and forth too much. And it's got exposition thrown in there at the same time. Now, immediately when I say this, this is okay, Steve. You don't want to be thinking too much. Okay? <laughs> is this you a thinking movie? Down movie. <laughs> you know what? No, no, that's not what I mean. Because when, when I look at any of the other films, even that I've that, that I've graded in the past that I didn't like, I never, I don't think I ever said those that it had a pacing issue, at least for me. I said, I, I'll say this, I owned that, I said Ragnarok had a pacing issue. Yeah, that, and, but that was a different kind of pacing issue because it, the, the movie seemed it was so go, go, go. Yeah. But it, it but when it got to the slow scenes, it was like, uh, yeah, you had to slow down to kind of catch. It, it was really weird. Would you say uh, that this? I, mo- I agree with that. Would you say that this movie's pacing issue is on par with Incredible Hulk's? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I completely agree. Yes, and um, the last thing I th- want to say here is I thought Scott as Janet, it was funny, especially when like you know, Scott takes his hand and just kind of caresses uh, <laughs> Hope's face. It was funny, but it was just like it was kind of creepy at the same time. But and, wouldn't you love to see the bloopers from that scene? <laughs> Oh, God. See, I keep forgetting about all that extra stuff at the end. Just to hear Michael Douglas say, get your hand off my face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's perfect. Uh, Louise quickly warns Scott so that he can return home before he is caught escaping his house arrest. Cassie is with him and says he could use a partner to help him, meaning herself. But Scott says he has hope, which Cassie thinks is also a good fit. Fun little fact. Cassie Ling in the comics becomes Stature, taking after her father and the suit. In a different comic run, she becomes Stinger with the ability to grow and shrink, but also can control over 5,000 species of ants and insects. She also sports a suit with biosynthetic wings, like Wasp, that allow her to fly, and that can fire bioelectric blasts from the wrists, kind of like a mix between both the Ant-Man and the Wasp. So Wasp cannot cannot control ants she can control ants she can't control all insects well we don't know that well it's kind of inferred because we never see any other insects well i mean you're not gonna put over five thousand species on on film but you could put a honeybee in there though you can put what a honeybee or i don't know wasps yeah i mean (laughs) i'm just saying she could have done that sooner maybe wasps are just what we think they are they're just assholes on wings uh, she's gonna be my asshole. I'm okay with it. Whoa, 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 whoa. I am not editing that one out. I had a JC moment, and I didn't even know it. That was amazing. She can be my asshole. Oh my god. Okay, so. I did, here's the thing. To, uh... After watching this movie, I did look up Abby Ryder Fortson just to see how old she was. Apparently, right now, she's 12 years old. Now, they've okay. used her for Ant-Man, and they've used her for Ant-Man the Wasp. Being that they're starting this new phase of movies, and obviously the stuff is being pushed down the line, do you think there's a possibility they could get Abby Ryder Fortson to come back to play Stature eventually? Because I think it that would, there's a very good possibility. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, with everything that we've kind of heard, that's what's going on with Phase 5. Yeah. And then the uh, transforming of the now major characters, such as uh, 
you know, the new Thor that's coming out. It's going to be going to Jane Foster. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hawkeyes be going to a uh, another new Hawkeye. It's kind of the passing of the torch. It I, it wouldn't surprise me, and I think that'd be kind of neat. Yeah. Just to kind of keep that same mantle, but at the same time, it's not being very original. It's not being original, but I mean, if it sticks with the fact that she becomes maybe Stinger instead of just stature, and maybe she's not as capable as Ant-Man the Wasp. I see her playing more of like, and you're going to love this, I see her playing of all the Avengers that come out next, the Jubilee of those Avengers. Yeah. Just kind of like the cheerleader. Oh, well, I mean, when you said maybe you can't do all the things that her dad can. Or she's not just that good. She's not as good at it. But can do it differently or she can do something that he couldn't do. That's on par with what he could do. Right. As weird as that sounds. I'd Um, be better with Stinger as opposed to Stature. I think that would connect more with people. I just think that Abby Ryder Fortson has earned it after these movies to continue this part. I think if they replace her, it'd be a tragedy. Like when they did that in, in, in Endgame, remember they, they aged her up and they, uh, they yes. hired a different actress. I really wish they would have used the de-aging technology to put her face on the girl and just older age her. So at least there's a continuity there. There wasn't any budget issues. They pretty should have been able to do that. <laughs> no, there was not. <laughs> <laughs> and if there was, they made it over tenfold. Um, but I see on here that you said this is one of the most important conversations in the movie between yes. Cassie and her dad. Yes, it is. Why? I think it's the most important conversation in this movie because this movie started off as the relationship. It, it's 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 Scott trying to figure out what his place is in all of this. Is he a father? Is he a hero? And he's always choosing the father route. And Cassie, who knows all about her dad's exploits. I mean, clearly she's she is his Ned in the chair. She knows everything. And this is him saying, look, I've got this life that I'm leading right now, but I don't want it for you. And Cassie, resi- most kids don't like being replaced by adults. Cassie accepts it. And that's why I think Cassie is one of the most important characters in Ant-Man's life. Because if she doesn't accept this, it's kind of like a kid not accepting the mom after or the, the stepmom after mom has passed away. She accepts Wasp and she accepts her because she sees that he she brings out the best in Scott Lang. And Scott recognizes that the three of them are their own little family now. And he's always been the side character in the family because it's always been Judy Greer, the weird stepdad and Cassie. And then he's on the outside. Now he's forming his own. So that's why I like this. And that's why I think it's the most important conversation in the movie is he has his family now, and he has something to fight for now in Endgame that's not just Cassie, it's the dynamic of the three of them. Okay. (laughs) Since you asked. I don't know know what to say. I mean, uh, that was perfect. Okay. That answers my question. Thank you. Hope and Hank are caught by FBI agents once they shrink the lab. (sighs) Stoltz grabs it, but he is knocked out by Ava, who then takes the lab herself. Scott uses the trained ants to help Hope and Hank break out of the FBI headquarters. Seriously, nobody notices Hank Pym walking out. He's just wearing a f***ing hat. I mean, this is not this is not much of a bunch of investigators. Oh, it was a hustle and bustle type place with everything going on. I mean, I, I can see this happening. But he also sneaks into the college just wearing a hat. <laughs> 
I can see this happening. <laughs> the ants guide the three to the lab's location. <laughs> And Louise joins them as backup. Hank uses the giant ants to get Bill out so that he can use his old suit to go into the quantum realm and find Janet. Yeah, that's right. Send the geriatric. The lab is shrunken again, and Louise grabs it. Scott, as Ant-Man, is attacked by Ava, but he holds her off long enough for helping Louise to get away. This And Steve, this is a humorous part where I will say it does not work for me. The flying ants are acting like the fish in Finding Nemo. They're pointing arrows down streets like a GPS. Yeah, so it's funny that you mentioned this is supposed to be a comic scene because I never even took it as that. I just thought, oh, okay, that's just him controlling it. I didn't I didn't think of it as anything that was really goofy. I thought it was far-fetched. Maybe I guess that's a better word for it. But We it will like, never agree on the jokes in this movie. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> The suit that Pym puts on to travel to the Quantum Realm is a JV version of what they use in Endgame. It's a nice way to seed the idea of what those suits would look like. Yeah, if you didn't, you don't really appreciate that until you see Endgame and then watch this one again. But uh, no, it definitely looks like uh, that one's been locked away for a while and it doesn't, it is, it doesn't look as modern as the wasps or ant-man's suits nowadays yeah so you can tell it's just kind of like uh definitely an older version scott really doesn't have a whole lot of action that makes him seem formidable formidable in the scene in, in fact he really hasn't done a whole lot in this whole movie steve uh, on the one hand it's nice to see that every character in the mcu isn't exactly the cream of the crop when it comes to fighting but on the other hand that person better have a good partner and thankfully wasp is a good partner when it comes to fighting in that car. <laughs> oh yeah. I think it's uh, absolutely, you, you hit it right on the nose because he hasn't done much. The last time we saw him doing any kind of fighting was when you first see ghost. Yes. And then after that, it's a whole nothing. Yeah. And then who have you seen in between there? The wasp doing everything and everything. Um, so going into the quantum realm yes again is probably one of the trippiest things that you see and when you think of the quantum realm you have to think of dr strange mm -hmm. i honestly don't know which one's weird i th i would probably give dr strange the nod on that one okay so you see like these insect dust mites that are floating around in the quantum is that what that was i i want to say yes but they're okay. too small to that, for those ones to be there. These would have to be like even more microscopic versions. Okay. So that's kind of what I thought. So, that, that, so when I saw that, I go, does that make them smaller than an atom? And yet he isn't that even size yet. I, I it, it was really weird. If getting to the quantum realm explained in the intro, slipping between the molecules and then, then that should make Hank smaller than an atom. Exactly. I can buy into the fact that time works differently. But physics shouldn't. Keep going. How can and, and and then also on top of that, how can he land on something? Is this just something that I have to go with? If so, the quantum realm to me is extremely confusing. Can you land on certain physical things? There's things that you know we could see with a microscope, but can we really see atoms with a super, you know, just a traditional microscope? I don't know. It's just I feel like there's things that were put on screen that 
you should not even be able to see Hank or anything in there, in the quantum realm. It feels like we can easily see the quantum realm with just a high-powered microscope. And if that's the case, then I think they built a whole lot of something for nothing. It was just confusing to me as all hell and being a vital part of the movie. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Thoughts? Um. Okay. <clears throat> My thoughts can be summed up in what I said earlier, which is this movie is not following its own rules. Now, if you hear the thing, if the whole thing was they found a way to shrink the space between molecules, I get that. However, that does not mean your molecules shrink themselves. And if Hank Pimp, if all of his molecules have sh- the 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 space in our body has shrunken him to the point that he is, then realistically he can't grow. He cannot be any smaller than an actual molecule. So we have a science problem. Joel really needed to be on here. I mean, doesn't that make sense? Yeah, it's. I I'm gonna go with it because I'm just like. I'm just confused with this whole science. That's like I said in the beginning. The whole sciencey thing. It's just. I think the whole point of the quantum realm is one. I think this whole movie is about the quantum realm works differently than anything we've ever seen. And time moves different here. That was the whole point of this movie. So they could set it up for what's going to happen in Endgame. Then why won't you just consider this just like an alternate dimension and just call it that as opposed to something that's on earth and it can be accessed here on earth. Because if that's the case, then how can time because then be the question so, be so different because they also needed a vehicle to, to introduce wasp character and they needed a vehicle to make it so that they're not just reliant on Dr. Strange. Cause if you remember in Endgame, strange is gone and strange was the only one that could access all the other realms. If strange is gone, you needed this character and this moment to have a way to go back in time and do what they have to do. All right. Yep. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's, it's still it's still it's still weird to me. Yeah. Scott flies away on a flying ant to meet up with Hope and Louise at the rendezvous point, but they are followed by Birch and his men, as well as Ava. Hope shrinks and enlarges the van to literally throw the goons off, even enlarging a Hello Pity Hello Kitty Pez dispenser to throw at one of them. Scott grows to a giant man to stop them, but as Ava intervenes, Hope becomes the wasp to fight her. Birch takes the lab and runs the docks where he boards a ship with the mother box to get away from the Amazons and Steppenwolf. Oh, sorry, I went to the wrong movie again. Oh, gosh. Sorry, I was doing Justice League. Uh, Scott grows again to reach him and stop him to recover the lab. Louise shows up in another car to meet with them, but Scott gets lightheaded from being so huge that he falls into the water and Hope swims down to save him. Now, personally, Steve, I love this action piece. It's fun to watch. But the physics in this movie are a problem for me because if the cars shrink and they're still going at the same speed, the RPMs would be exponentially higher. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that the tires would have burned off that little box box car. <laughs> now, and I, was, I, I was explaining this to the wife, too, and he was, maybe it was just because of my explanation as well, but I was just like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, uh, I mean, I guess if they're both traveling at, let's just say, 60 miles an hour, and when it shrinks, it's still traveling at 60 miles an hour. But with everything that's smaller, 
it would just be physically impossible yes. to keep up with that. If it, if your car is 10 times smaller, then realistically, your RPMs should have to go 10 times higher to maintain the same speed. Because it's based off of the tire on the road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because if you think a bigger tire will travel a further distance than a smaller tire. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Oh, I did something smart. I made sense. That's funny. Uh, Sam had this to contribute. She said, I was hoping we would get an awesome soundtrack moment when Hope and Louise are being chased in the van. Then she said, Captain Marvel made great use of their soundtrack, but nope. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I didn't. I, I didn't listen to the soundtrack at this point. I think what she's referencing is saying, during that moment in the van, they were hoping that the music was really good, but it was kind of let down yet again. And uh, I'm going to agree with everything you said there, except for the Captain Marvel stuff, which we'll do next time. Yeah, we don't know about that yet. Yeah. And uh, she she also asked if Ant Man would make a great theme park ride. Is this a thing yet? And my first thought was they kind of did that already when they did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids theme park ride. Oh, see, I, I just didn't even know anything about that. Or it's a small world. Oh, oh yeah. It's a small world. So does that mean it's going to be annoying? What? Uh, no, never mind. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like that he uses the truck like a scooter. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and for those that are wondering, the shrunken building that everyone is trying to get that is the MacGuffin of this movie. That's a MacGuffin. Ah, that's kind of what I thought. I was finally right at something. <laughs> I got a MacGuffin right. You did it. Oh, Gold star. <laughs> thanks, buddy. Finally, something I did correct in this film. One of the best scenes of this whole one was, well, I shouldn't say best part. It was two parts, but I thought when Ghost goes and phases right through that car and i can't remember if she probably hits him on the way through mm -hmm. but i was just like that is her powers being used to the fullest extent and my jaw dropped and i think that the camera shot was done well in slow motion and she just goes right through and just continues on which i was like oh that was sweet that oh was yeah pretty badass yeah and speaking of badass wasp i mean that's all just wasp damn i mean her going yeah her going through the car I think is the best scene. Her fight scene in that <laughs> car, I put on par with Deadpool's fight scene in the car. Oh, see, it's been such a long time since I've watched Deadpool. Yeah, but it's so, she's so proficient and just like, she's a surgeon in that car. <laughs> I'm like, she is. just keep going. <laughs> And that's her, that's the writing, but I think the best part about it is, are the camera shots. They're so different. The camera angles go all around the car so you can see every little thing that's being done. Yes. It was it was very, very short. I mean, what, 10, 15 seconds? Mm -hmm. But she is more skilled than any of the women in the MCU. Agreed. Yes. She I take her over Akoi from Black Panther. Oh, Really? Yes, I I think that she's a lot more proficient in everything that she does with the skills that she has. With the suit, amazing. Now, if you take away the suit, because I think that gives her um, a lot of her powers on what she can do. You yeah. take the suit away from Hope, I'll put a Koi over there. But with the suit, 
It's Wasp. Yeah, with the blasters. She needs the blasters, and she needs the ability to shrink because she's learned how to use those as part of her technique. Yes. And it's not like an added bonus to what she can do. It's the it's all one piece of the chemistry. So, yeah. it's it, Well, but then again, it, it'd be like, uh, if you took a Koye spear away from her, who would win then? Uh, you know what? <laughs> I still... I think she can be skilled with any weapon. Uh, okay. I mean, if you, you took away... Daggers. If you took away the one thing that makes the character who they are in the MCU, then it's a real good question as to who would... Because then you think about who are capable fighters. Like, I would take the I would take the Hulk over this girl in a, in a minute. But if it's just Bruce Banner without the Hulk ability versus her without her suit, I'm taking her. It makes you kind of think on what every single character's main... Um, weapon or their main thing that they have and how well they would do without it. Okay. Well, let's do here. Okay. Here's a good, this is a great question. So let's look at the six Avengers. If you take away Tony Stark suit, who wins in a fight regular hope or regular Tony Stark? I say hope does. Yeah. Because even if you take away the suit, it doesn't take away the martial arts expertise. Yeah. Now let's go to Thor. You take away his hammer or whatever it is. I still say Thor wins. Well, what would you? I guess it's it that that one's tough because I know you have his hammer, but what I think what you'd have to take away maybe is his godlikeness because you see that in Thor one when he's just a fish out of water, he loses all of his powers. Then Thor is absolutely nothing. So I don't think it's the hammer you got to oh. take away. I think it's I think it's his godlike powers. Okay, so we're still on the hope wagon then. I would say hope. I would. Yeah. I, okay, then you've you've convinced me. All right. Now, uh, the, the uh, we got Hulk. You take away the Hulk. Yeah, it's an it's an easy win. Hope wins. Yes. Um, Hawkeye take away his bow and arrow. That one's almost a push, only because because he's well, regular. He's... That's all Hawkeye has to rely on. Well, yeah, and well, Black Widow. Yeah, that I, one's more of the push. I think that's a push, right there, and then. Um, let's see. Huh, huh, huh. Oh, Captain America, take away his serum. He's getting his ass kicked. Yeah, he's nothing. So Hope Van Dyne is really when it comes to the comes to the, the, the original six, she's in the top three when it comes to her abilities. I agree. What a great character. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and now I'm pissed that it's, that it's underused. But I'm also glad that in the end game, when they do everybody coming back, she doesn't come back with a whole bunch of people. She comes back on her own. I, her I entrance is that. a yeah, solo they, entrance. <laughs> yeah, and then they continue with her character. Like all the other ones, they don't. Yeah. You know, obviously you have Captain Marvel coming back. Or No, she was always there. So she never really came back. But out of the, all the other female ones, they concentrate on her the most. Yes. I mean, the second the second best one would be Pepper Potts, but that's for a later discussion. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> in the quantum realm, Hank nearly loses a signal, but he man- finally manages to locate Janet at her coordinates, and they reunite with a kiss. Meanwhile, the lab has returned to its normal size, and Ava and Bill are planning to get Janet's quantum energy. Hank and Janet start to return as Ava and Bill begin the process, which starts to drain Janet. Scott and Hope show up and disable their machine, giving Hank and Janet enough time to come out of the quantum realm. Hope reunites with her mother at last. Janet then sees Ava's problem, and she puts her hands on Ava to stabilize her and stop her phasing. 
Everyone leaves as the heroes take the lab. Bill wants to keep protecting Ava, but she tells him they need to split up, and that storyline is never resolved. Outside the lab, Dave and Kurt help Louise incapacitate Birch and his goons before injecting them with truth serum as the cops arrive, leading to their arrest. Birch and his goons admit to everything. Okay, so I guess that's what quantum energy can do. It, it can heal people from phasing. I mean, it's not really a common problem. I wish there was a better example of why quantum energy is so f***ing important in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm willing to bet that that's probably one of the many things that it can do. And the only reason why we gotta, gotta have to go with it is because uh, Janet has now inherited these special powers in the quantum realm, which I guess you just kind of got to go with because the quantum realm is a huge, big, one of the biggest unknowns in this whole entire universe. We don't know what can happen what, what, when you're in there. We know that you really don't age. Well, you do, but not as quickly as other people, yeah. which I think I get to later, which later has now come to now. So if she knew, <laughs> sorry, if she knew Janet, yeah, if Janet knew that she was gone for 30 years and time works differently in the realm. Yes. How does she know it's been 30 years? Okay. So she was still in the realm. Yes. I say that when she said this to Hank. Okay. So by this logic, that means that hope is around 38, 39 years old, right? Yes. Um, okay. So one of the things that they established in Ant-Man was that the quantum realm time works differently. It is inconsistent. Sometimes it's moving fast. Sometimes it's moving slow. Sometimes it's at the same pace. Janet was smart enough to be able to communicate with Hank and Hope from the quantum realm. And she seemed to know her mathematics pretty good to do this. She was figuring all the algorithms out and all this stuff. So my guess is she figured out a way to check her time when she was there mathematically. I think that's when they establish her doing all the work through Paul Rudd, I think it's yeah. established that she can figure out how long she's been gone. I think that's an yes, inference in there. Okay. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just inferred something that wasn't there. I, I just, uh, uh, then, then I got to say, this is probably one of those, she's definitely the smartest person in this entire film. If not, maybe even the saga, because to figure that out and to be able to telepathically communicate with people in the quantum realm mm -hmm. is just, uh, it's beyond anything that anybody can ever do in, in anything, which, which actually is sad. The fact that, we didn't really get a chance to see her more than and see what else she could do in this series. I, I also think that, yeah, I think that she's the smartest character in the, in the Ant-Man series. Um, but I also think that if she is to be the smartest person in the MCU, it's important that she's not involved because if she was, you don't get the genius of Tony Stark coming. Eventually you don't get the genius of um, Shuri being uh, something that's important, uh, it would be all Janet all the time. Or Bruce Banner, well, for that matter. Yeah, and that, went, that made me think, imagine if all four of those people were together. Well, yeah. Uh, I think Vision Stone would have gotten no problem been taken out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Janet was just like, oh, okay, you just kind of go, doop, doop, doop. it's right here. Got it. 
<laughs> Ruth thinks he knows Scott is out on the streets as Ant-Man, but he goes to his home and finds Scott there. Scott's sentence is finally over, and he is a free man once more. The first thing he does is he goes to see his little Cassie. In the final scene, Louise gets a new wealthy client for his business to keep them from going under. Hank brings Janet to the breach or to the beach where they set up a new house that he expands to its original size. <sighs> Scott shrinks <laughs> himself, <laughs> Hope and Cassie in a car so they can use a laptop as a screen like a drive-in movie. They are then bothered by a large butterfly or moth. I was going to say, I thought it was a moth. Uh, maybe. Uh, I think the credit sequence here is hysterical with all the scenes being replicated with action figures. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. The second time I saw this, I fast forwarded through it only because I knew what was coming up next. Yes. And apparently Sam agrees with us. She loves the miniatures as well. Nice touch. She says, yeah, it was good. And now we get a mid credit scene. Steve Hank and Janet have set up the quantum tunnel in a van on a rooftop with hopes help so that Scott can enter it. He obtains quantum energy to keep helping Ava be stabilized. Just as Scott is ready to go back, the others fail to bring him back, and he doesn't hear anyone on the other side of the radio. Being in the real world, Hank, Janet, and Hope have all been turned to ash by Thanos snapping his fingers from the end of Infinity War, leaving Scott forever trapped in the quantum realm with no chance of getting back to Earth. And this, I think, is the second most important scene in the movie, because without this scene... Endgame doesn't work. When you started reading that, Goosebumps number five happened. I'm continuing from <laughs> Infinity War. Absolutely incredible. Yep. Um, I agree, but if... Okay, you said the second most important scene. Yes. I said originally, you... arguably, because you could argue it is the most important scene. Okay, so if it is the most important scene in the film, which I think that some people do, yeah. what does this tell you about this movie? I feel like <laughs> I'm sure everybody loved this, you know, because it has nothing to do with the film yeah. as a whole. It gave the audience, I think, what they really came for to see the movie. They wanted to see something that happened with the snapping mm -hmm. or with the snap. I mean, it was great. It was a fun little joyride but let's get to the meat and potatoes of why we're really here. Because as soon as infinity war happened, if it was anybody just like me, I wanted to know more about everything post snap. I wanted to know what was going on at that time and that time. And I wanted to gather as much information as possible because I couldn't sit there at the end of the film and just realize there's no way that the villain finally won. And I needed to know more. And I think that's what people really wanted to see. And I guess I, I think I mentioned it in my top three. It's just like, this is worth the price of admission right here. Just this scene alone. I, I, that makes me question the film. And I do remember seeing this movie and I remember the reaction when this scene happened, which was everybody was just like, oh, this is great. What a fun movie. And then this happened and it brought everybody right back to Infinity War. Well, and it was kind of like, because I remember people asking, you know, so what does this have to do with the MCU? And then this happened. It was like, Oh my God, they did it to them too. Oh, I, I remember you telling me not, not about the scene, but you have to watch the post credit scene. The first time I watched this oh, and yeah. it's exactly how I felt. It's all, oh, this was a good movie. I guess it was fine. And then it was just, just it brought you back to reality. Yep. Yeah. It's like the reality stone was used for this movie and then boom, you brought, got brought back. Yeah. It Perfect. was kind of, 
It was <laughs> it was like eating dinner, Infinity War, a big healthy dinner, and then this was the dessert. Oh, look, fun little ice cream sundae. And after you finish with that final scoop of sundae, somebody punches you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> or you realize it's like, oh, I got to go brush my teeth now. That's really no fun. But Steve, this is not the only post credit scene. No, it's not. There is one more. It says, most of San Francisco appears to have felt the effects of the gauntlet. More than half of all the life in the city and on Earth and the entire universe is gone except for the giant ant who is still in Scott's apartment playing on his drum set. Steve, they, I think that they should have switched these two scenes. The drumming should have been the mid-credits, and the snapping should have been the post-credits. This is one of the very few times that I remember you telling me this, and this is still gold to me to this day, is any time that you watch a movie and the TV's on, there's something important about the TV. And I had to pause and rewind because you hear the uh, emergency broadcast system. You hear the tone. Yep. And that's what's on the TV. You know, this is not an emergency, blah, 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 blah. So I had to rewind. I literally took the time to read what was up. Hello? Imagine. You, can you say that again? You, you went out. Oh. What, about the TV? Yeah. Okay. So I had to go back in the during the scene and rewind it because of what I saw on the TV and you see the emergency broadcasting scene on there because you always said that there's something always important about watching something on TV. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it was just, it was another gut check. It really was. Cause you got the, the credits that were rolling and then this again, I was like, Oh crap. And to me, any scene that is post snap mm -hmm. is gold. <laughs> You're a sucker it, for it, right? It, it, I, I'm gold because I, I just I absorb it as much as possible and try to dissect it and get as much information as I can. And just like in Infinity War, there's a final text. The Infinity War said Thanos will return. This one says Ant-Man and the Wasp will return dot, dot, dot. And then after a few seconds, a question mark pops up. I guess I didn't see the question mark. I yeah. forgot about that. Um, according to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter reading of 76%. That's 41 fresh reviews and 13 rotten. And the critics on average gave this film a 6.7 out of 10. The critics' consensus reads, a lighter, brighter superhero movie powered by the effortless charisma of Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly, Ant-Man the Wasp offers a much-needed MCU palate cleanser. Yeah, after Infinity mm. War, we were kind of all down. We needed something to kind of bring us back up again. That's true. Uh, the audience score, which is the average rating the audience gave this film, is a 3.74 out of 5, with 76% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. But the movie is over, Steve. Were you entertained? Uh, yeah, I, I, it was fun. I just felt like I got duped. <laughs> what about you? I feel like I was just part of a magic show. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, look over here. Don't look what's in my hand. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, but now it's time to figure out whether the awards got it right and whether the movie is worth your time or not. Get it right. Let's see. At the Academy Awards, there were no nominations. At the Golden Globes, there were no nominations. Hell, at the Saturn Awards, there were no nominations. And at the MTV Movie Awards, zero. Nada. Zilch. No <laughs> awards. This one got nominated and won nothing. This is interesting because when I first looked at this, I just thought you just didn't do it yet. Nope. <laughs> this wow. got nothing. But let's be honest. It came out the same year as Infinity War. So <laughs> it, 
Infinity War was going to get in all those categories, probably. <laughs> I want to talk about all those nominations that it should or should not have gotten. All right, on to our next segment, title top three, bottom three. This is where we talk about the three things we want to highlight in this movie. And then we go over the three things that are bad, unforgivable, or downright travesty. Let's start with the top three. Steve, what are your top three? Go. Uh, number three, the car chase scene. I think that's everything that we wanted to see in an Ant-Man movie. Um, granted, I know you don't like the physics. The goofiest <laughs> thing was the huge, giant Pez dispenser. But okay. it was funny. It was. It, I, I took it with a grain of salt. Yeah. I thought it was. It was really neat to see the acrobatics, and of course the wasp doing everything and anything. Anything with her in it was absolutely awesome. So number three, I thought the car chase scene was awesome. Number two, the snap. The post-credit <laughs> scene is worth the price of admission alone. Okay. And my number one, I just really liked Ghost's powers and abilities. They were really neat. It's just something different. Her suit was awesome, too. I'm thinking about somebody else in this film who had a suit. You know what? Never mind. The Wasp <laughs> is way sweeter than anything else. How yeah. she uses her skills to fight is so smooth. How she takes out the Suburban is the best scene in the film. Screw Ghost, phase away, yep. enter the Wasp. Joe, yes. go. Okay, my number three. The humor works for me. As you've heard from this podcast... I, here's the thing. When I wrote this out, I only had two because I wasn't sure what my third one would be. And after doing this, I realize now that the humor in this movie works for me. It doesn't work for Steve. No. <laughs> uh, so that's my number three. My number two, I think the dialogue in this movie is great. And for a sequel, I don't think it tries too hard like most comedies have done in the past. And my number one is making this movie a partnership with Wasp who I think is one of the coolest characters in the MCU introduced in a long time. All right, let's move into the bottom three. It's time to vent. And this is where I had like five or six, but I had to narrow it down to three. Okay, so Steve, what are your bottom three? My number three, I'm going to go with the villains on this one. Sonny. Yeah. I can't remember his last name because I really don't care. Birch. Um, Sonny is a slime ball wannabe villain that in reality just doesn't know what the hell he's doing. <laughs> I know I put him up there with Justin Hammer and Aldrin Killian. And you know what? I did not like those villains at the time. Yeah. I have a newfound respect for those two. Yay! <laughs> because of how terrible and I just. Sonny, anytime he's on screen, he just he just looks like a dirtball slime ball. <laughs> My number two. Yes. Who in the hell is the bad guy in this film? I mean, is it Ghost? Is it Bill Foster? Uh-huh. Is it the FBI? Uh-huh. Is it Sonny? Uh-huh. I know we talked earlier. That was four. Did I get him right? That, that, no, no, you mentioned Hank. I mentioned Hank also. Hank. <laughs> that was five. Unbelievable. You just don't know who the main antagonist is in this movie. And you know, I, everybody should know I'm a villains guy and I was a little torn apart with this. Yeah. Uh, my number one, the worst thing I just, it, I just didn't like, I felt like Scott for most of this movie and a, <laughs> this podcast further cemented this mentality that I was clueless at times <laughs> and I just went with it. I feel that Dr. Strange made a lot more sense than this film. <laughs> I'm so happy. Joe? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's uh Okay. I, I had to give you a prize for your Doctor Strange, but um 
Floor is yours, buddy. What's okay. yours? My number three, the Ava and Bill Foster storyline takes away from the bringing back of Janet Van Dyne in this movie. And it's completely unresolved at the end. Like, what happens to these characters? We never know now. Uh, my number two, just like you, there is no real villain in this movie. There's no one person to focus your anger at and hope that Ant-Man the Wasp can, you know, beat. We don't know who it is because it's, it seems to be everybody. It's it's a mad, 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 mad world. It's a scavenger hunt. It's cannonball run. It's everybody trying to get this one thing when they could just make the fucking quantum tunnel in a van. <laughs> and my number one, speaking of quantum, the physics in this movie make no sense whatsoever. Zero nada. And this character, this comic book hero is reliant on physics making sense. That's a problem. So... We use an A to F scale for our critics rating here on the Movie Planet. A C is considered average. An A or a 12 is the highest. An F or a 1 is the lowest. If the movie is so bad, it receives Fs from all the hosts. It goes to a new category of movie, the Movie Planet Global Killer. Joining Solo, a Star Wars story. A category movie where you can watch it ironically and have an amazing time at how bad it is. So the question is... What do you give Ant-Man and the Wasp in the comic book feature film genre? Steve, do you want to go first or do you want to go second? Uh, I'll go first on this one. Okie dokie. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> to mute me. You're on the clock. So I was, I was so excited to see this movie because Ant-Man was so good. If you listen to the podcast, I gave this movie an A, I think. And it that, that movie just surprised the shit out of me. Scott Lang in Ant-Man was just awesome. This movie, he was, well, he, he, I mean, he was there. This, it, It's not an acting issue. I thought it was a writing issue, but I think you might have cleared that up when you said this is more of a Wasp movie. I, To me, this movie, it really felt, because maybe because it came after Infinity War, it was really a filler movie. In this movie's defense, let's be honest, Infinity War was what everybody really wanted to see, and this was more of a side story. We want to know what happened after the snap. That's what I think everybody wanted to see. My villain analysis, I think, might be the easiest one I think I've ever done, because I don't know who the hell the villain is. <laughs> I'm just going to throw a dart, and I mean, I'm standing 80 yards away, going to throw a dart, and let's just say it's Ghost. Only because she is the most unique. Her character stays exactly the same until the very end where she completes her character arc in mere seconds. And I'm talking about the point where she's with just before she's about to talk to Janet. She does get cool points for her suit design. It's probably one of the most unique in the entire MCU. Her powers slash her abilities are more of a curse than really a gift. She also had her cool fighting moments, phasing through Hank's neck and phasing through the car in battle. That was awesome. Also, how she arrived on screen is one of the best I've seen. Someone who surprised the hell. Wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> how she arrives on scene is one of the coolest things that I've seen in the MCU. Everyone was surprised like, who in the heck is that? Unfortunately, in terms of a character, 
Ivan Vanko is a little bit better than Goat. If she's not the if she's not last on the list, she's second to last at best. I'm thinking on the last MCU movie, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm going to give my final villains ranking analysis. It's not gonna be super long, but I'm gonna go through all the villains that I've done and rank them from worst all the way to best. I felt like Scott in this movie, like always feeling that there's something screwy going on here. And <laughs> I just didn't know what it was. And I just went with it to the post credit scene, which left my jaw dropped. This, this movie was a big whole home. <laughs> this was more of a wasp and Hank movie than it was an Ant-Man movie. Maybe my grading would be different. Who knows? I really don't know where to grade this. I know it's better. Is it better than Solo? Oh, yes. Is it better than Strange? No. I'm finally giving this a C. Higher than Guardians Volume 1, but barely because of the post credit scene. When's Endgame again? <laughs> Not yet? Damn. All right. All right. I, say, I, I, I can't speak anymore on the topic. I gave my grade. I gave it a C. Yep. Joe, it's your turn. Floor is yours. Okay. <clears throat> Boy, am I conflicted here. <laughs> On the one hand, this has one of the most important plot points of Endgame explained so well. On the other hand, it's a couple hours of unimportant storyline before you get there. And on a third hand, for those that have three hands, it's fun for a couple hours where you can turn your brain off and enjoy it. Now, let's remember something about the Ant-Man movies. The first one followed Avengers Age of Ultron. It was meant to be a small dessert after the big film. This movie follows Avengers Infinity War, another small dessert after the big film. The first Ant-Man movie merely introduced Ant-Man and how he could integrate into the Avengers later on. This movie introduces Wasp, and that's really it. However... In introducing Wasp, they have to relegate Scott Lang to the sidelines in the action scenes. They have to make Scott's suit not work well in order to put more emphasis on the introduction of the Wasp. It's a trade-off that is necessary for the story they chose to follow, but ultimately makes you wonder what these two would look like on missions working together. The MacGuffin in this movie is good enough. Get the quantum tunnel working to bring back Janet Van Dyne. But the execution of it, turning the story into a scavenger hunt road rally with several parties trying to get their hands on the technology for their own reasons, well, none of them really have any weight. Ghost isn't a compelling character enough to side with her, and Sonny Birch also isn't that interesting either. So what do we get that contributes to the overall mythos of the MCU? We get an introduction to Janet Van Dyne, which is very scarce. We get more about the quantum realm, specifically that time moves differently when you're in it, except in this quantum realm, time doesn't seem to move that differently at all. We get the portable quantum travel device in the van, which could have solved the entire movie, and we get the capabilities of Wasp and how they partner with Ant-Man. All of these are mired in a convoluted plot that doesn't develop side characters or antagonists in any way to get to know them at all. But... This movie does capably show the partnership between Ant-Man and the Wasp, though you only see them fight together in one and a half scenes. And ultimately, what they bring back, the quantum energy being a healing factor, 
it never really comes back into play for the rest of the entire franchise. <sighs> Although this is a fun movie to watch, this is like my weekend at Bernie's. It's ultimately not that good. So I'm going to give this movie a D plus. Whoa. <laughs> I'm giving this a D plus. Below This average. is below average. Wow. This is Marvel is better than this. So that puts Ant-Man and the Wasp at an average score. You gave it a C. I gave it a D plus. It's a C minus or a 5.000. It is not making the Pantheon. That's not coming close. No. Now, if you want to know what other movies are on par with this one, well, the only other movie we gave an average C minus to was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume yeah. 2, which we referenced several times in this podcast. Yes. How about that? Now, let's get our credits cat off. Do you love this movie, like this movie, or none of the above? Steve? Uh, I liked it. It was okay. It's a vital chug through. I what love this movie. <laughs> It was so weird. I think it's incredibly entertaining and goofy. If this movie is on in the background, I'm like, yes, please. I want to watch some jokes. I want to see this is funny. It's just, if you want to laugh for a few hours, this is, this is the Ragnarok of Ant-Man. And I know you don't agree with that, but I don't care. (laughs) If I was me putting something on the background, I, that it would be Ragnarok. It wouldn't be this. God, we're so torn on this one. Great. That's all we've got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we'll continue our look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Captain Marvel. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and give us a four or five-star review. Like us on Facebook or Twitter and follow the Instagram for one minute reviews if we ever do those again, considering we're in quarantine right now. Um, the opinions expressed on the Movie Planet podcast are those of the individual hosts, the mo- and they're expressed by Sam also. The Movie Planet podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Steve! Any last words? So I'm taken aback to what a little bit of Hank him character, and he mentioned this a couple times, and I'm going to change it for the end here. As Hank would say, can you guys please get through these movies so we can just watch it again? (laughs) Thanks for listening and happy movie watching.